the more you trade, the higher your fees. So these implicit costs, they stack up and sometimes they can be higher than the actual explicit fees that they put on their prospectus. Becoming a millionaire isn't just about growing your money. It's also about protecting and preserving your wealth by using the right financial strategies for your situation. Welcome. This is Middle Class Millionaire with John Choi. John has his Master's of Science in Financial Services and is a certified financial planner and the president of Epiphany Capital. Welcome in once again to another episode of Middle Class Millionaire with John Choi and myself, Mark Killian, here to talk investing. Uh, investment planning, really, is going to be the conversation piece this go-around of the podcast. And if you've got some questions about this, as always, don't forget to check in with John before you take any action or check in with a qualified professional like John, who is a certified financial planner. You can find him online at johnchoy.net. That's johnchoy.net. He is the president at Epiphany Capital, serving you all over the country, but based out of the Chicagoland area. John, my friend, what's going on? How are you? Good. How are you? Doing pretty good. Just chatting away with you today on investment planning. It's the next kind of piece, I suppose, in our conversation, our evolution of the uh, the podcast here. We started off with a little getting to know you and then some income planning, but investment planning seems to be the next logical step, especially in the time period that we're in, right? So there's a lot of uh, turmoil going on in, in all the markets and all the different kinds of things. So I wanted to spend a little time today on this topic. I think once you've established that income plan, which we talked about in the prior podcast, so if you didn't check that out, folks, go check that out and kind of ensure that your your baseline is covered, right? Your expenses, your lifestyle, um, the paycheck, so to speak. What do you do with that leftover money, right? So what are the goals for doing some other things with these next dollars? Uh, whether it's legacy, whether it's whatever the case is, let's get into a little bit of that. I guess my first place to ask you, John, today would be, right now, is that just trying to stave off inflation? Because that's, uh, you know, it's pretty hefty. Well, that is the best tool. The markets are the best tool to, to keep up with, with inflation. <laughs> At least but normal when inflation. You, <laughs> yeah. Um, but when you say uh, investment planning, what I'm, what I'm hearing is growing your money. It's okay. This right. pot of money is really reserved for growth. It's, the stock market is not a tool that we use to generate income. That right. It's, it, it's, it's for growth and it's for accumulation and it's for our working years. It's, you know, again, going up the mountain. And I think there's a, a lot, I mean, there are a million tools that we can use or even misuse on our journey up the mountain. Uh, most of us use mutual funds. Mutual funds are, you know, they can come in the form of index funds or they can come in the form of ETFs or, you know, just uh, sector mutual funds and mm -hmm. things of that nature. But right. I think the, the thing that really, the one commonality that I think everyone should have in their investment money is diversification. And I think you should have different funds in different areas of the market. Now, diversification, it's probably one of the most misunderstood terms yeah. in finance. Overused and misunderstood, yeah. Yeah. And so somebody will come in and they'll show me their portfolio and they say, John, I'm diversified. I've got a hundred different stocks. And here is GE, here's Bank of America, here's Merck, here's Ford, here is uh, Cisco, here's Microsoft, 
here's Maytag. And so they're all in different industries, right? And they say, well, because of that, I'm diversified. And I say, well, n- no, not really, because as an academic, I would say you're all in the same asset class, which is large U.S. stocks. And that's one asset class. So I say, that's to me, Kellogg is the same as Merck, is the same as Ford, is the same as ExxonMobil. They, they are all U.S. large stocks. And so I'm talking diversification from an academic point. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. No, I'm with you there, and I want to actually back up just a second because you talked about the the timeline of the of the market, so to speak. You know, not using it for necessarily income. This is growth money, um, and I think yes. right now in the market that we're suffering in, uh, I'll use my brother as an example. John, uh, he's sixty, uh, he's sixty four. He'll be sixty five soon. He's retiring in less than twelve months. And just okay. about every other day, right, he's messaging me because he knows what I do. And he's like, oh, the Dow's killing me, right? And I have to keep reminding him. I'm like, I, I understand that it's easy to look at that and be frustrated, but this is not money you're using next year or le- in the right. 12 months when you retire. This is money because you're going to be hopefully retired, God willing, right, 20 years or more, right? So this is right. money. This is future money. And I think that's where people have a huge trouble disconnecting the emotional side of their investment plan to the income plan. They, they can't seem to separate those when we're seeing bad markets. We just see it, and our natural human reaction is, I, I got to do something to stop the bleeding. And often doing something is actually the wrong move. I'd agree with that. Uh, for the most part, I, I, I would agree with that. But, you know, we have to, we as per, uh, financial professionals, we have to make sure the portfolio is in line with our client's risk tolerance. So right. if we have a nervous Nelly, mm-hmm. uh, it's <laughs> my portfolio, my portfolio is going to look pretty different than someone like me where I'm a little bit more a little bit more willing to take a risk, right. right? I'm not the Bitcoin. I'm not the high flyer guy. That That's not me. But I know how markets work. And generally, I know they recover pretty quickly after after a fall. So I've seen this before in 2000. I've seen this before in 2008. Uh, I've been doing this for nearly 30 years. So I've seen different market cycles. And when markets recover, they, they recover quickly. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. But for the average person, right, I get it. I do get the fear, right? And I think that's some of the value that comes in in having someone like yourself, a, a professional who has been through this, um, you know, not to disparage anybody by any means, but John, there's there's professionals out there, there's financial advisors who have only known an up market. They've maybe been in business 10 years and they can say, hey, I've been in business 10 years. This is fantastic. But in those last 10 years, they haven't seen it down. This is their first down market maybe, right? Because the market's done well for the last, what, 12, 13 years, one of those bull run that we were on. So it's very easy for people to get afraid, and that's where the emotion comes into it. And that's why you got to have a good plan. That's why I have a good, a good strategy to help you. And I think that sounding board that is you as a professional who's done this for a long time to say, hey, John, I'm nervous. Talk me off the ledge. What am I doing here? Right. And for those guys that have been here five, 10 years, Welcome to the club. So. <laughs> Very true. Very true. But going back, yeah, going back to our diversification piece, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. That's why we need to diversify. And so maybe you want to put some of your money into stocks, bonds, mutual funds, right? And maybe you want to uh, reserve a portion of that into some of our protected investments where we're going to get good growth and uh, we're going to get some protection from the markets. I mean, there are some really innovative tools 
that have been launched and really have gained traction and, and have been popular popularized. And when I talk to my fellow peers and my cohorts, they have no clue, not because they're dumb, but they have no clue what they are. It's because they work for these larger firms that have an agenda to say, these are the mutual funds that you're going to sell and that's it. Yeah. Doesn't make them bad people. It's just, that's the way our business is, unfortunately. And that's why I left. That's why I went independent. Well, how do you balance risk then, John, for folks, uh, you know, since we're talking about investment planning, how do you balance that risk for someone entering into or already into retirement? They come in to see you for the first time. They're going through the process. Uh, it's analyzing all those pieces you've talked about. Uh, just a couple of things you want to highlight for us. Sure. Um, you're in the traditional investing world. They'll say, hey, I have a 60-40 portfolio. And what they mean by that is 60% of your money is in stock-based mutual funds or, or stocks or equities, as, as us academics call it. And 40% is in fixed income or uh, bonds, as as it's known you know, commonly. Right. So 60-40 is 60% stocks, 40% bonds. Okay, cool. Now, what I do is of that 60%, I say, how much of that do we want to add a layer of protection? This one particular client that I was working with wanted wanted protection on all of that. And then for the 40%, I use um, a bond alternative. So there's a stock alternative and a bond alternative. Salts and bolts, right? You know, stock alternative, <laughs> bond alternative. So like that's that, what I'm right. using, okay? And when we did an income plan off of that, and when we looked at, you know, different tests, so if the market went down 20%, and this is just the way that I allocated between the, the two different alternatives, this gentleman's portfolio went down 3.33%. So negative 20 was negative 3.33. Hmm. Okay. And yeah, and so, and it produced all the income that he ever wanted. That's great. And yeah, and, and the negative 30, if the market fell 30% in one year, uh, we suffered a uh, 8.75% loss. So wow, that's yeah, that's protection, yeah. and that's what I I'm trying to I'm trying to dampen the downside, and the upside's great. Uh, I mean, p- part of his portfolio has has an upside potential of 26%. So so it's kind of like volatility well, control, for lack of a better term. Yeah, I got to be careful with that. Okay, uh, with that term because more most well, or, or control, I guess risk. I guess I guess it's just your risk tolerance then, right? So I, the magic formula is right is to get more higher expected return, lower standard deviation or lower risk. Okay, right? gotcha. Yeah. And 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 this will do that. Gotcha. Well, and I think that's and again that's going to be key to your point. You earlier mentioned kind of like the nervous Nelly versus someone who's a little more comfortable. That's all part of that process and figuring out. Uh, where they are, what they have, and what they're comfortable with, and then also just what their plan is going to require uh, to work. You know, so often the last twelve years, as I mentioned, we've been in this big bull run, and people are like, "Hey, what's the highest number of return I can get? I'm trying to maximize my, you know, my return." When many times, especially if you're close to retirement, maybe that shouldn't be the question. It should be, "What do I need to make my plan go so that I can be successful all the way through retirement and get into retirement and enjoy myself?" Instead of chasing the bigger return, maybe it's more about um, an appropriate number that makes the plan work. Any thoughts there? Well, I just sent my first firstborn to college. Okay, congratulations. I, I had, I, thank you. <laughs> I had 529s. And of course, when the first semester tuition is due, the market decides to 
take a dive. <laughs> kind of poo-poo your plans, huh? Right. So my rule, one of my rules, my hard and fast rules of money is do not take money out from an investment that's that's down, right? So in the right, stock sure. market, yeah, because you're going to take a double double whammy. Not only are is the account balance going down because of your withdrawal, but it's going down because of loss. And you have to sell more shares to raise the same amount of money, so you have less shares to recover in oh, the yeah. future. And depending on so, your age and where it's from, you could be paying taxes oh, and penalties. So Right, 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 right. So there are ways to mitigate that, right? A, you can pull from a different source, which is what I did. I said, I, I am not going to pull out this 529 when it's down. And B, it wasn't down very much because I put it in one of those age-based portfolios where I think it's like 70% safe investments and 30% exposed hmm. to the market. It was, it was something like that. It was, it was a 30, 70, or, or 20, 80 type of portfolio. So those are the two ways that you can do it, but I just hate taking money out from uh, from an investment that's down. So we, we have to have different pots of money, yeah. both growth and both conservative. Absolutely. So, and, and, and again, the, the, the message in a, in a traditional financial firm is it's either stocks or bonds. It's either stock mutual funds or bond mutual funds. Yeah. And, and, and that's it. I'm like, man, we've been doing that for 100 years. I mean, you got something new. <laughs> well, I, you know, a lot of that comes back to us too, uh, as the clients or potential clients, because we only think the same two things too. You know, I mean, right? Uh, it, we feel like, uh, okay, I either need to have my money in cash, like when when markets are bad, like they're they're being right now at the time we're doing this podcast. People go, I got to go to cash. I, that's the only thing I can do. That's the only thing that you know. And then when they're good, they go, I got to be in the stock market. It's the only two things that I think we're kind of traditionally pumped on. You know, so. I understand why the the industry feeds that because that's that's what we do. So I would say you should have a conversation. Yeah. And, people, and I don't know what it is. People are so afraid of having a conversation. I think it's because there's a tiny fraction that gives us a bad name where they sure. are just. It's like a timeshare sales presentation. They are just. <laughs> yeah. Man, it, it yeah, is pressure. Yeah. It's a it's a pressure cooker. They're beating them over the head with with this, and they're guilting them. They're using all these. Manipulative. Look, that's bad. That's Most not what you're us, looking we, for, right? Right. No. I, I'm just looking to have a conversation to yep. say these are the newest and greatest innovative things that our uh, industry has been putting out. Is that of interest to you? If it is, and and you're interested in this alternative, we can explore that further. Yeah. If not, God bless. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think people are looking for education, information, and relationship building because something as personal as money, you want a relationship. You want to be able to, you know, build. You said you've been doing this for thirty years. You know, you want to be able to have that relationship where. Uh, your kid's going off to college, you know, and and I come in to see you and you're like, hey, Mark, how's yours doing in the Navy, right? So you're able to have these kind of personal uh, bits of the conversation as well. Uh, that goes a long way towards the trust. It goes a long way towards just rapport. All of the all of those things kind of uh, factor in. But let me let me turn to one more thing here before we wrap up this investment planning conversation. Fees sure. tend to come up all the time. The conversation okay. around fees, right? Obviously, okay. understandable. Um, no such thing as a free lunch, right? I mean, people aren't people aren't doing stuff for free because they got to keep the lights on. They have to pay employees, so on and so sure. forth. But how sure. many times, right? We always see people go, "Well, my my guy or gal charging me zero. and it's like, well, "That's not true," <laughs> you know, or, or I'm getting, or I'm only being charged one percent. I think that's the misnomer on a lot of it. I'm only getting charged one percent. That's typically the advisor fee, 
right? What right, people are right. overlooking is the fees inside the management of the portfolio, the funds, blah, blah, blah. Sure. So let's take your example of the management fee. 1% is typical, uh, 1%, 1.5%. That's typical for the advisory fee. That's, right. that's the fee that you pay to, to someone like me. Then there are other fees, and those are the mutual fund fees. And within that fee, there's explicit fees and there's implicit fees, okay? So explicit fees you can find in the prospectus. And it'll say this mutual fund charges, I think Morningstar says it's like 1.1%. That's the average annual expense ratio for that particular mutual fund. I use index funds, which are probably like seven one hundredths of one percent on average. But oh, wow. wow, yeah. So, and and those are you know low cost ETFs, things of that nature. But okay, so there's that explicit fee, and then there's implicit fees, and some of them you can kind of put your hands on and some of them you can't and you can only get that in something called or you can only get an idea of what that might cost in something called the statement of additional information no one asks for that everyone asks for the prospectus they don't even know what a statement of additional information is so they don't ask for it so they'll tell you how often they're trading uh within the portfolio and this is the big thing that i have is is the trading when a mutual fund company or a manager has 100 stocks at the beginning of the year and they say their turnover is 100%, which is, you know, it's kind of typical. Okay. But if it's 100%, what they did was that on December 31st, the 100 stocks that they owned looked nothing like the 100 stocks that they owned on January 1st. They've turned them over, okay? They've sold it. So what that means is that there were 200 trades during that year. Remember, there were like 240 trading days. Mm-hmm, so right. it, essentially, they're day trading your money. And there's now, little fees attached to that. Yeah, I'll get to that in okay, just a second. Okay, yeah. But I ask people, I ask clients, I say, is a mutual fund a short-term investment or a long-term investment? They say, it's long-term. And I say, I agree with you. It's not a trick question. So okay, cool. And I said, if this manager is turning this over 100% per year, and, it, and it's starting with two, 100 stocks, that's 200 trades, right? 100 sells, 100 buys. Why, are you, why is he day trading your money? If it's supposed to be a long-term investment, why is he day trading your money? Mm, and when he point. does that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was long-term. It is. Okay, well, and if his research is so good that he's identified this great company why is he selling it within a year? Why is he day trading? Mm. <laughs> that never made sense to me. Yeah. Right? Because hey, come to our fund because we do our research, we meet with management, we we pour over their books. Okay, cool. You should hold that for five, seven, ten years then. Does it change I mean, I don't know. That that doesn't make sense. That's a great point though. I mean, I've been, you know, I mean, that's really good information to think about because you don't you don't hear about that. I mean, even that statement of additional information, I can't tell you how many times I've ha- I've had that brought up over the couple of years. It's very very little, right? So yeah, that's a fantastic point. Are you getting it's, an epiphany? Yeah, I'm getting an epiphany. <laughs> that's exactly. Uh, okay, good. That's the purpose of this podcast well, is to give you these aha moments. There you go. I think that's a great place we should probably wrap up then with one of these this week. So again, okay, so one of the things yeah. that you let me just trying to uh, finish the point here. Yeah, yeah. On the fees, when there's trading within that, right, there is a commission mm-hmm. for every trade. It may be pennies or fractions of pennies, but there is 
uh, a fee on that. And there's also something called a bid-ask spread right. that you are losing. So I don't want to get into that in this episode, uh, but there are the more you trade, the higher your fees. So these implicit costs, they stack up, and sometimes they can be higher than the actual explicit fees that they put on their prospectus. So be careful of that. Typically, you know, I, th- I think if you do the research, uh, Vanguard and, and I forget who else puts out another paper. I'll, get, I'll, I'll look into that. But, you know, typically 2 to 4% is, is your real annual fees in these portfolios. Gotcha. So. Well, and I think that's a great way for, cause we, that'll give us something more to talk about on some future episodes. We'll dive back into the conversation sure. as I'm sure we'll touch on many things. So yeah, I mean, you know, Hey, having that, that light bulb moment, that epiphany moment, that's what it's all about here on the podcast, middle-class millionaire. So if you've got some questions, you need some help, you had a light bulb moment there, uh, reach out to John, find him at epiphany capital. You can check him out online at johnchoy.net. That is johnchoy.net. And don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever platform you like to use. Uh, you can book a call online. Just You will have some show notes and uh, links in the descriptions. Uh, again, all that good stuff. Go to his website uh, and have a conversation with John about your retirement future. And John, thanks for hanging out and shining some light, uh, dropping some knowledge this week. It was fantastic. Mark, it's always been fun. Absolutely. I'll see you soon here on Middle Class Millionaire with John Choi, Certified Financial Planner and President at Epiphany Capital. Take care. Epiphany Capital is a registered investment advisor, RIA, located in the state of Illinois. Epiphany Capital provides investment advisory and related services for clients nationally. Epiphany Capital will maintain all applicable registration and licenses as required by various states in which Epiphany Capital conducts business, as applicable. Epiphany Capital renders individualized responses to persons in a particular state only after complying with all regulatory requirements or pursuant to an applicable state exemption or exclusion.